Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European VC Podcast. I am David, and I'm joined by Andreas. Today, we are welcoming Hampus Jacobson with us. Hampus is a GP at Pale Blue Dot. Hampus has been on the pod, so you probably remember him if you're a loyal listener. Pale Blue Dot is an early-stage venture fund in Sweden backing European climate tech companies. Pale Blue Dot are investing out of fund two with a total of 200 million US dollars in AUM and an established portfolio of 32 companies. Notable investments include Monta, Patch, Overstory, ClimateX, and Opna. Today is a special episode, and it's fully dedicated to raising a fund virtually. It came about because Hampus casually mentioned that he hadn't traveled a single mile in the raise of Fund 2, which of course got us super interested in, you know, just wanting to do this. So if you're listening in and love our show, drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. AppyDay is the leading all-in-one ESG platform for GPs. Central to AppyDay's philosophy is that ESG for your portfolio companies must be relevant and value-adding, making you a partner to your companies, not adding more reporting burdens. AppyDay offers AI-led ESG reporting, full SFDR compliance, including disclosure templates, EU taxonomy, carbon accounting, due diligence assessments, and most importantly, tangible tools to help your companies like ESG resources and policy templates. See why over 1,000 portfolio companies leading Article 9 funds and $100 billion of AUM trust Apiday to manage ESG and sustainability across their ecosystems. Take a free product tour at apiday.com or book a no-obligations ESG VC strategy session with one of their experts. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values, values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting. We had this conversation on the back, I think, of me inviting you to Dubai. And to that, to that you responded, fuck no. <laughs> I, I haven't traveled a single mile. With those exact the- words, by the way. <laughs> I, I think so, yes. So, Hampus, let's start this off by asking you the obvious question. What was the motivation behind you saying, no, I don't want to travel for this fundraise? It's a confluence of many things. I think that part of it is that we've raised Pale Dot One uh, when COVID started. So I think that that, of course, like taught us that it's very like y- you can raise a fund without traveling, like in a sense. Uh, I think that also Fund Two came about very peculiarly. What happened was that one of our LPs uh, tried to push us to start Fund Two earlier, and we're saying, "Why don't you raise like an opportunity fund or like a second fund or something?" And I kind of we had a conversation with them and started talking. And then I kind of, I don't know, I really, like, I'm obsessed about dating. And I just want to say this, like, I have three kids, I'm married, I'm not looking to meet anyone else in my life, I hope again, romantically, I think I'm really happy with my relationship. But I'm like, berserkly obsessed about dating. I think it's like one of the more fascinating topics. Because the crazy thing about dating is like, I'm looking for you, you're looking for me, and everybody is right. Which means that it's a strange world in that you have to kind of show enough of yourself, but you can't be too transactional, and you have to be long term, you have to be short term. And it's very similar to a lot of stuff, right? But the thing is, like, dating is one of those phenomenons which we don't talk about a lot. Very few people talk about, like, the mechanics of dating. 
But people happily talk about the mechanics of fundraising or the mechanics of recruitment or whatever. And I think that it all boils down to people and dating. So I think that getting back to your question, I think that like, so, okay, we could fundraise and like fund one. And when then our own LP said, hey, do you want to do fund two? I just kind of turned it around and thought, okay, what happens if I ping some of our biggest LPs and saying, hey, peeps, we got the question if we should raise fund two. Same size, $100 million. This time year is different. It's like this, what we're thinking it said. Would you join? And then I like asked a handful of people. And when they're all were like, yeah, we could take like same ticket or twice. I was like, shit, this is happening. Like we are like on, on like Zoom, email, WhatsApp, we have like 50 million or 40 million euros. Then I was like, okay, we have to be the deck because like it's embarrassing not to have a deck. Um, like it's just strange when people say, can you send me any info? I'm like, I don't have any info. I have like a, you know, Google Docs notes in front of me that I type some questions to myself. So like, then we like, we build a minimal deck, we try to explain it. And I think that actually fundraising is an extremely educational experience for the person fundraising. You have to actually think, what is my strategy? What's the reason we exist? Who do we invest in? How do we think about this? So I think it was great for us to kind of craft a handful of slides, like five, six slides, and just like, explain what they didn't get back to people. And then what we didn't expect, that there were quite a lot of funds, uh, LPs, that had like followed us and like had talked to others about us and vice versa. And I think one of the reasons for that is that I think that fundraising is way too hard. And I mean, both for startups and for funds. So if somebody, some friend of mine is raising a fund, like a whatever, a cybersecurity fund, a climate fund, a whatever fund, like I happy to like, you know, go on a call and spar with them. And I just want to say like, I don't have a lot of time. So it's a bit stressful. So therefore I think it's great that we're doing this because then I maybe can say a lot of stuff so people can listen to this. But I happy to spar with people. And then what happens is people say, is there any chance you can ask your LPs? I end up saying, of course, like I have tons of people who want to invest in funds, right? They're looking for funds. You're looking for them a dating again, right? So then I'm just saying, send me a blurb, like a one screen iPhone screen with a deck that I can forward. They send me this saying, hey, thanks a lot. I would love to talk to blah, 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 famous LP. I forward it to the LP and say, hey, I've met these twice. I like most people. I have no idea if the fund strategy is good. I don't know anything about cybersecurity on a national level. Do you want to meet them? Every single LP that's got the email, opt-in email, says, geesh, thanks. We don't invest in blah, blah, blah. Or love to have the meeting, please do it. Which means that roughly per week, I do like two to three LP meeting intros to other funds, which means that what happens is that when we're raising fund two, when I think people said, by the way, you've talked to other people, we're considering now doing fund two. People are like, hell yeah. And I was like, what? Uh, and then people said, yeah, we usually take tickets five to 10 million. I was like, well, how did this go from like me pinging you on WhatsApp to you saying you want to do 10 million in two? So we were extremely, extremely lucky with two. And we started fundraising in October and we kind of wrapped it up in kind of January. And then it was like the legal process and like we had Credit Suisse falling about, we had, you know, um, Silicon Valley Bank crashed and the whole market there was like a bit wild. So we kind of delayed a couple of months just to make sure that LPs didn't have, to, we didn't force them to invest or anything. But it was crazy because like we did this crazy strange fundraise where we were fundraised upon. Like, I mean, it's like, it, it was like, we were like, what just happened? Can I interrupt you just to ask you to paint, you know, you said that I just reached out with an email saying this, this, and that, and you know, it, for the unattentive listener, that might sound like you just kind of quickly draft something up, but there was a lot of intentful thinking in that. This, just the fact that, you know, s very similar strategy because fun size was the same, slightly adapted. So th th there's a lot of details in there. And I think you skimmed so quickly through it that it feels like, oh, the guy just sent a, a freaking email on a WhatsApp message. No, 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 no. That's no, no. definitely not the case, right? So I'd love you. Could you expand a bit more on the details of that, of that process of sending out that email, the thought yeah. process there, and the interactions that came from it with the LPs? Yeah, I would actually like it's like because fund fund one two was so peculiar. 
I think like Fund One is an easier example to talk about because we traveled very, very few miles for Fund One. I mean, I was in Munich once. I was in Luxembourg once. I was in Stockholm, I think twice. I think that was it. I th- yeah, yeah, I flew to London this summer when everybody was on vacation. So I didn't meet a single MP. So that was the great <laughs> fundraising trip. So like, you know, like it was very few miles. Great lesson learned there. <laughs> great lesson learned. Like don't be there in mid-August. Like all the Brits are like, what are you doing here? It's like fundraising. <laughs> this week or vacation this week and fundraising in two. Like, uh, okay, I get what you're saying. It was a really bad week for fundraising. Uh, lots of hikes and walks, uh, coffees. No, but I would say like the, for fund one, I think one of the strategies we did is that we had like two tracks. We had like, so maybe I should say three things. One, we worked a lot internal work. What the heck is our strategy? Like, what the heck do we do? And, and like, you know, we really thought about like fund size, ticket size, like how does the market look? We talked about this like obsessively internally. And we have like massive imposter syndrome as people, all three of us. So we don't, like, if anything is like, how do you source deals? We source deals like this, like everyone else, but we are so much better. Like, no, 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 no. Every single thing we were like, we're fucking worst. So we have to be so much, like try much harder and grit much harder. Because otherwise we won't win. So like we, we never, ever, ever in anything we wrote to ourselves, we just wrote because we're good. We were like, no, 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 no. We will never win anything because we're good. We have to um, like fight harder for everything. So like there was so much work internally about that. And then I think number two is like the way we fundraised, like we had one track, which was like the, like the enterprise behemoth, like sales fundraise. When you're like, you talk to these massive institutions that are like, they're probably going to invest in fund one, two or three. And we filled out DDQs and blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, you need those because they are the ones that anchor your fund. If you don't have one of those, you can't raise a fund north of 20 million, I would guess. Maybe somewhere where you have all of your friends being billionaires. But all the times you need somebody to put in, you know, 10% of the fund and say, we're going to read all the agreements. We're going to be on the unpack. We're going to be that, make sure that these crazy people are not too crazy. So we talk to like a lot of people like that and like fill out DDQs and like, you know, and it's a long process. And then the other thing we did is like, we had this spreadsheet with like a lot of different people that either we just had on a hit list that we were like, this is like very much like you rate, how you rate the seed round. Like you're looking to get a lead of the rounds, the seed round or the A round, but then you need to fill the round with lots of smart people, the angels that you think are going to add value, right? So the thing is, the way I think we did that is like we had this list of wanted people and we try to get in like, oh, could you ping it? Could you, is there any way you can intro to the supercell founders? And somebody's like, yeah, I know them. And we got the intro, right? And then same thing, like when you get that ball rolling, you get a lot of people say, oh, you should talk to these people. You should talk to these people. The thing we had for them is we actually had an email that said, like, thank you very much for the intro, Luis. Move you to BCC. Luis did the intro. Hi, Mark. Here are like five reasons not to invest in one, just so, so we don't end up wasting our time by mistake. So it's an emerging fund. It's going to be roughly like 80 million euros. Uh, it's, it's domiciled in, in, in Sweden. We are a tax transparent setup, but we're not in Luxembourg. We're investing in climate tech, which is going to be mostly about software and data. There might be some hardware in it. We don't really know. Uh, this is an unproven sector. We believe it's going to be big. Happy to explain more of that. But it's a huge risk that this is my too early in the market. And we like had literally five reasons not to invest in one. And we didn't try to sugar. We weren't like, we're three emerging managers, but we have a lot of experience. We were like, no. And then we ended the whole thing by saying, if you want, we can have a meeting when we've done first close instead, if you want to. Because um, then, of course, we're up and running. I would say 50, 60, 70% of the people said, thanks, Hampus, great. I'm happy to did the intros, but we only do managers set up in Luxembourg. Or this was really educational. I would love to talk to you when we're done fund close, like when you've done the first close. That meant there were nobody who said, can you please come to the mansion or to Luxembourg? People were like, thanks for the respect. Talk to you later. And we in the CRM, we either wrote no, because they can't do it. We have to be a Luxembourg vehicle. Or we said like, 
they're keen, but not that keen. The crazy cool thing is that the 30% the that came through and said, I know all that, but I, I really want to talk to you. The cool thing is that we didn't have to like sell them. And like we came to the meeting and we're like, we explained our theories. Like we talked about how we thought about stuff, right? And they sparred with us. And sometimes they said, we never really do fund ones, but I really like the way you're thinking. So like, I think we're going to do it. But the ones that are sure can do the fund one because of mandates, they just responded on the letter email saying, I'm really sorry we can't do it, right? And it was so great because that saved so many trips, but also so much just like waste of effort and you know anxiety and everything for everybody. Uh, so that email, I would really recommend it, but you're like, craft honestly, what are the reasons not to invest in us? To, and actually be not, not trying to like second guess it, but actually write it. What were the uh, dating equivalent of that strategy for him? <laughs> yeah. So the thing is like, I actually think raising a fund is like raising an A round in the sense that I think that raising a larger round, like an A round and, and a fund is the Venn diagram of three circles. Dating, selling your apartment as a real estate agent, and uh, presenting your bachelor, master thesis, PhD thesis. And you have to ping pong between these in a very nice way. Like you have dating, you can't come to the meeting and say, I want 50 million for you because people are like, what the fuck? I haven't had coffee yet. Like, what, who are you? Like, you're like <laughs> such a strange person, right? And then, but you can't just sit there and like talk about life and your children and how nice they seem to be, these people, and how much I like Vienna. And then people left the meeting. It's like, what did they want? I don't know. But also you have to like, so the, the, the trick is like you start with dating. You start by just being a nice person and talk to people and just learn about them, right? And figure out if we want to hang out together. And then you kind of move into like presenting your thesis and like your th academical thesis. You're so like, we really think that climate has like three big verticals. We see like inequality, infrastructure, and innovation. Inequality is very hard to invest in. Infrastructure, most of the money you see, the trillions of dollars, they go to infrastructure. We don't think that venture can play in that. If you look at innovation, that's where we can play. If you open up innovation, we see three big circles. You see like behavior shift, you see policy and incentive shift, and you see technology shift. This is how we can address it. People are like, well, this is, this is cool. Like good thinking. We talk to people, right? But then we're not sitting here like presenting a thesis so they can take notes. So then we have to move in to be a real estate agent and say, so what's your ticket size? What vehicle do you invest from? And they say like, oh, we haven't set up anything, right? And it's like, oh, okay. Because like, uh, and then it was like great conversation. And then like, you know, I want, again, we don't want to make them awkward. So like we move into dating and say, it's really no worry. Like I'm fine with having like casual conversations, you know, just nice to them. And then they say, I'm actually really keen. You know, so like moving between these three in a nice way is like what makes a good meeting. And we came at a lot of meetings with lots of notes from us with interesting questions. When people ask stuff, we're like, that's, it's a very good point. I haven't thought about that question, actually. So like we learned so much from these video calls and we had like calls with like Horsley Bridge and, you know, whatever, Sapphire, all these people who said to us, there's a snowball chance in hell that we're going to invest in Fund One, just so you know. <laughs> there, like literally nothing will happen. But I mean, Elizabeth Beaver, amazing person, said, but Ampus, we met a couple of times. I really like you as a person. More than happy to have a call. And you can just pick my brain. And I can pick your brain about climate a bit because I'm curious. I mean, like, Elizabeth, thanks. Like, Beaver is amazing. Like, you know, talk to her about stuff. And she was like, I would worry about this when you're raising. I was like, oh, thanks. That's great. Thanks. Like, wrote so many questions and stuff. And she said, can you tell me a bit about how you're thinking about, like, first-of-a-kind financing? And it was like, you know, maybe I helped her with something. But she, for sure, helped me a lot. And there were so many people, like, we're so happy to, like, we're so lucky to talk to, like, the CFO of, like, Point Nine, Creandum, Excel, all of these people who were, like, helped us on fund modeling. And, like, we just talked to a lot of people and learned stuff. So I think that going to those meetings and us, like, again, pinging between those three, if we go to a meeting with Excel CFO, where I'm not going to leave the meeting until I understood their fund model, because that's my real estate agent who, like, I want that, right? But I'm not going to be the douchebag who just joins the meeting and says, tell me the fund model. So I have to, like, be nice and, like, care about that, right? <laughs> But I also will have to leave them with something, which means that I will tell about the, how we are thinking of it. 
So I think that's like one of the favorite things I find is really figuring out this balance in a meeting. So people leave the meeting feel like, that was nice. That made my day better. <laughs> Hampus, uh, during the, um, and we all remember this quite, at least I remember it quite clearly. It was more or less when we started UVC, actually, when COVID first hit. And uh, the kind of, uh, I don't know, the main stream claim was that, you know, video calls and meeting remotely was great to keep existing relationships alive but incredibly hard to build on new relationships and create trust and et cetera, et cetera. What you're saying goes kind of against that, right? Because you're saying by focusing on adding value, we created that relationship. So do you, do you think there is something fundamentally wrong with how most investors are looking at these GPLP relationships that are they're too transactional? Did you just strike gold by chance? Like, I'd love to hear your thinking there. I am completely sure that we were lucky with a couple of things. I think we were super lucky that the fact that we happened to go on to do and want to do climate when few did climate, right? So like, you know, people were just like, okay, I want to talk to these people. And I think that we were super lucky with timing because of COVID. That means a lot of people said, let's not fundraise right now, maybe. So like we had so many things on timing. And of course, 2019, 2019 there were a lot of people who wanted deployment into venture as well. So I think timing wise, we were just crazy lucky. And, and like, I would say luck is like 80% of the cohort, right? So I think that that's the main thing. I would say that the thing which I think was very interesting about the actual fundraise is I think that I just feel like super peculiar. Like if somebody says, do you want to meet the dates of your life? Like, you know, meet like the person you want to fall in love with and marry and, and, you know, move off to Portugal. I know you're in Portugal, David. We all want to live in Portugal. But I think that the answer is like, do you want to come to this meat market event in Berlin, Superventure, and like, you know, meet people speed dating them and just like quickly like stand there in a suit and like pitch your thing? That is how you get one night stands. That is like how one, like, thing is, if you want to like marry somebody, you like meat market is not the thing. Like, you want to meet people randomly at a friend's party when you're like standing talking to them and like, oh, you're a super interesting person. So, like, I always feel when people say, like, do you want to come to our LPGP meeting when 50 GPs pitch 50 LPs and you get 60 seconds each? I feel like I don't I absolutely don't want to go because I don't think that we're going to meet the, G, the LP in that world. I don't think they're going to like us because I got to. I got to challenge you, Hampus. Sorry for interrupting you there, but I got to challenge you because you guys are the proud co-organizer, organizer, I don't know what the term is, of the drop, which is an event, which brings a bunch of people together. <laughs> yes. How is but, it different? But the thing is like, we actually have zero pitching at the drop. We actually have no pitching stage, no way that people can actually do stuff. We actually had no announcements that people said like, can I announce? But we said, no, we actually designed the drop with like vegan lollipops and like activists on stage. And, and also like we clicked up, like clicked yes to every single person attending, which means there are no salespeople coming, which means that everybody feels super safe. And when the people are ta talking on stage about like the PR language of fossil fuel companies, you feel like, whoa, we're all in the same, like it, that, that vibe, I think it was, would change the difference. And, and, and we're actually discussing now, should we actually add a track next year for the day before, which might be called like allocate to ventures or something which meet by like LPs talk about like how uh, allocate to climate, sorry, which might like LPs talk about how they would allocate to more to climate. But we don't want GPs to kind of stand there and pitch. So that's the headache is like, how do we do that without that becoming a meat market? So, so I totally agree. I love events because events is when you build trust, as you said, David, I think that it's one of the great things of building trust is if you meet a person and talk to them and you see their body, you just build a lot of trust. And I think that the trick there is I think what most people don't do is like when you're on video, you should just try to figure out ways that you can show your whole self. You can just like, you know, I don't know. And I don't mean physically, for God's sake, but I mean, like, just be a real person. Just like, you know, if you met me for coffee, you wouldn't like you would talk to me differently. Like you would start by saying, oh, what hotel are you staying at, by the way? 
And you'll be like, oh, this is, oh, wow, wow, isn't that a super fancy hotel? And I got it on hotels.com. It's only like, you know, it's 90 euros. Like, Whoa, 90 euros, that's crazy. Is it a room with a window or no? You know what I mean? Like, you would start the conversation like that. When you go on Zoom, you wouldn't say like, oh, is that painting behind? Is that the, you know, people don't. And it's so stupid. You should be like a person. You should be like, where are you? Oh, Portugal. Oh, I love Portugal. It's such a nice country. I was there. I learned Portuguese. And the only thing I remember is barboleta. And you're like, ah, useful word. No. And like, you know, we start a normal conversation. We're people, both of us. And Sommerfuhl is it in Danish, by the way. <laughs> yes. We, what, what, was it with you we had that conversation? No, it wasn't. We had, that it's that a unique word in every language, yes. Yeah, we had that conversation with uh, Mick from Lunar as well, I think. It's amazing. Perron in Finnish. None of these words have anything in common. It's just completely crazy. It's one of the few words that the humanity never traded. So, like, we don't have any useful reason to talk about butterflies to each other. So, therefore, we have unique words. Anyone thinking that Hampus is a... Uh, Listening in and thinking that Hampus is a, just a just a well-schooled actor here talking about the importance of personality. The thing that David said before Hampus joined was, "Do you remember Hampus's uh, shirt that he had on when we met him at Tech Barbecue?" <laughs> and and I said, "Yes, I do." <laughs> and 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 here we are. Uh, Hampus tunes in, and then he's wearing. Well, I can't remember what's the the painting that you have on the shirt. Yeah, this is a pretty famous yeah. painting. The cool thing that people don't know about this painting is this guy who painted this painting painted the same painting for thirty years. So this is true craftspersonship. This person painted this painting over lots of years to make it better and better and better. Just like chisel off, chisel off made it better, made it better. Just like a fund, just like you make it better yeah. every time. It, 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 it's a, it's not Joe Harry. It's Joe something, right? Joe, no, this is well, a Japanese guy. Yeah, Japanese guy. It's the it's the picture on Notion. If you go on Notion and then you say yes. you want the uh, the cover photo thing, then that's the one that you get there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very cool. So Hampus. I want to ask you, though, because, and I think that we, we probably have some people in our audience thinking, hmm, this sounds like a great story. And Hambus is, we can hear that Hambus is a good storyteller. So I can see why it would work for him. But what would you say to the skeptic listener, the skeptic person saying, come on, I've been on those Zoom calls. It doesn't... I." I I can't make it work, <laughs> or at least, you know, I'm struggling. I'm traveling to Italy to meet some rich guy wherever <laughs> because that's where he is and that's what he's asking for. So what would you say to that person? I think that you should work with what you're good at. I think that, like, if you feel like you're a super skill, it's like meeting people in person and being, like, really, really good at, like, connecting with them. I think you should probably do that. Like, I think it's super strange that you say, like, I'll squeeze my in to, like, a couple of thousand pixels. Well, a bit more than a thousand pixels nowadays. But I think that it, it feels like, I mean, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'll just do this. But I think at the same time, I think that the way that I thought about it a lot when we started was like, okay, I know you're in Turin. I can come if you want. But is there any chance we can just start with a video call? And most people said, of course. And some people say, no, I want you to meet the whole family. And you're like, that, like that's the trick. It's that, that's, it is that. But if people say, no, we can start with video, then you can start with video. And I think the most important thing, I think, with the email saying no or with the first video call, is trying to get people to say no quickly. I don't think you can persuade anybody for real to marry you or persuade anybody to invest in your fund. I think that people have to want to do it. Of course, you kind of like, you help them, you know, you can explain what you do and stuff. But I think at the end of the day, if you're coming in and somebody says, I don't want to invest in this fund, stop doing it. How did you gauge the interest? We actually try to get people to say no. 
Yeah. We try to tell people, like, these are all the reasons you should invest in Pillbot One. And we also, like, when, when COVID hit for real, we started fundraising just before COVID. And then COVID hit for real. And then it was, that was like two months before our fund closing date. So we actually emailed every single LP that had said that they wanted to join and said, now it's very clear that COVID is going to be a global phenomenon. I just want to make sure that you have the chance to say you don't want to join Pillbot One. I have complete respect if you say that you don't want to join now. So you have now, we have just opted you out. Can you please respond to this email if you still want to invest in Pillbot One? There was one, two people out of the, uh, who said, I would really prefer to wait till after first, first closing. Like, can, can, I, can, I, can you give me a couple of months? Everyone else said, 100% win it. We had another thing that happened was that one of our LPs asked, I think a couple of weeks before first close, they asked me, do you get like a premium for investing in first close? Um, like what's the like what's the, the you know the the financial advantage of investing in first close? And I was just like, I don't want you to invest because of a premium. So I said like I think that we were not going to have a premium. Uh, maybe this is unfair. And I actually asked them like asked them seriously. I was like I would prefer that there's no premium. And if you feel doubt, you should probably join the second closing. And that person said we're doubling our ticket. And I was like, what? Sorry. He said I love you. Just did that. There's so many managers that tell me that you get this little thing. And it's like at the long, if you look at the economical thing, it's nothing. It's nothing. And actually, we actually discussed if we actually would print the T-shirt to everybody who joined the first close. And when people ask that question, we said, like, yeah, we're going to send you this T-shirt. Uh, and, you know, but just so that they can feel like we recognize you as a believer. But financially, sorry, we can't really do anything. And I am so happy the fact that we said, if you feel doubt, you should not probably not join. And I mean, there's a second closing, for God's sake, just during the second closing. And I, like the cool thing is like, I think that what that creates is that people feel that we're confident and they feel FOMO and they feel like, well, they really think this is going to happen, right? So let, let's join now. And also, I think that what's really cool about it is that some people, many people, I think, you know, back to the old question, you know, do you want to be in the Navy or do you want to be a pirate? The thing is, I think a lot of people felt, let's do this. I'm going to be part of the people that created this fund, right? It's super cool to be part of the OG that did the fund. And I felt like it was so cool that like people kind of felt that feeling of like, yeah, we're going to do this fund together. And I think it was, it's a great feeling when people kind of feel like, I'm one of the believers. I'm not going to be ones who said like, let's wait till we see cool logos. But then there are fund managers whose job it is to manage other people's money. And they said, I'm really sorry. I cannot invest until I've seen. And they were like, no respect. Why would I push you, right? Yeah. One question, Hampus, how have these uh, relationships evolved over time? So we're doing this, this whole episode about raising virtually. Are these virtual relationships you have with your, with your LPs, with your, with your family, right? Uh, or, or have they grown into something very different? Some of them have grown into good relationships and some of them are completely, you know, like they're people who send us money and like we email with them. But I'm really happy about the fact that we, we email our LPs a lot, like, you know, of course, quarterly updates and stuff, but we also do a lot of stuff when we're thinking about shifting something, we email all of them and say, hey, anybody that's got a cool ideas about this would love to jump on a phone call. I think it's just like when you raise a very large angel round, what happens, or a very large, like when you raise a seed round, let me say, when you raise a seed round, what happens is every single, all of the angels in the round, most of them just get that email and are like, Woof, okay, I don't care. One of the angels cares a lot. So he or she will respond, so like, I'm happy to jump on a call. I was in this situation. And your lead investor will say, don't do anything stupid. We need a call about this next week. So what happens is like you're, you're like three or four biggest investors. When you send that email, they will say, they might not know anything about it, but they will say, of course, here's 30 minutes. Let's talk about it. And it's just good governance, right? But then you have one of two of your uh, LPs in their respective size who would say, I've had this shit situation. 
I'm happy to talk to you about it. And that's been really, really good to have a couple of those people who stand up. And then in fund two, we decided we had a couple of LPs that didn't agree with our fund strategy. And uh, who we'd like, who said, I don't want you to invest in, we own a company that is like a machine learning design GMO of plants. Like one of our LPs was like, when they got the thing, they were like, you invest in GMO. And we were like, yeah, we think we need GMO to be able to you know, survive on this planet and get food for everybody and not have food wastage. They were like, yeah, I'm, I'm a climate investor. I don't want to do GMO. And I'm just like, I'm really sorry. But like, you know, if you look at the LPA and, and like investment policy, like, you know, GMO is not part of it. Like, I mean, we can't invest in human cloning, but I mean, this is not human cloning. And he was furious. And I went on a call with him and I said, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry, actually. I didn't want you to be furious about this. And then he, then I offered him to talk to the CEO and I was like, do you want to talk to them? You, I think you're going to see why we like it. He was like, I don't care. I think this is shit. I don't think you should have done it. And I was like, I'm really sorry. When we did fund two, I, I, I emailed him and said, I would actually prefer, like, I, I think I feel a bit awkward about this situation and I have zero hard feelings if you don't want to join fund two. And he said, no, if you feel that way, then, I mean, I would be fine, you know, not joining fund two. And I mean, I like him a lot as a person. We're great. Like, I mean, talked a lot to like, you know, I really like him. But I don't want to be in a situation where every time we do invest in, I'd be like, can he be pissed off? And I think that he would probably feel the same. He would feel like it's much nicer now. One of our big LPs, they were really messy about reserves. I've fought with them a lot about reserves. And when we raised fund two, we were just saying, we're going to disagree on reserves again. Um, I think you're going to hate fund two because we want real having reserves this time. And they said, yeah, we're going to hate that. And I said, I don't think you should own fund two. And they said, okay, great. And they didn't. It was, I think it's so much better, right? It's just like, we met EIF. EF were like, uh, we need this special kind of carry structure for climate. We just said, I think this is really dumb because I think this means that, you know, we won't actually invest in bold companies. We invest in like the safer ones. So they said, yeah, we want to, they said, I don't think you should invest in us. And they said, oh, you, you were EIF. And we're like, yeah, I know you're EIF. But I mean, I think you're going to pissed <laughs> off at us. Like, I mean, we're going to have a relationship where every time we send an update, you're going to respond, but you didn't follow what we said. And we said, no. So like, then it's just like, why build a relationship where there's tension? Why not just say, I think we disagree. Let's agree we disagree. And I mean, I've referred a lot of people to AF. I think they're great. But it's just like, you have to, you know, it's, a, it's again, it's dating. It's like a relationship. Do you think that, no, oh, I was about to ask you a question about EAF there, but that, it, it, it's tough to talk on publicly in a podcast. So I'll refrain from that. Uh, I will, though, I, we will, though, we will, though, let this comment stay in the, in the, uh, in the podcast, because I do think it's important that we, speak openly about the fact that there are players that are so big that it's difficult to talk about. <laughs> um, and I think that we should, we should leave it at that because I think that's a fair commentary to make on the podcast. I'd love to ask you about the tech stack because some people get very techy when they do a virtual fundraise or, or, or about everything that's, that's virtual in their fundraise. I'd love to ask you if there's anything that you've employed there or you tried and then went away from, that kind of thing. Yeah, so for fund one, we had like Docsend, Zoom, Notion, I would say is probably what we had. Uh, the, oh, we, for fund modeling, we loved Causal. Like it's a superb tool to kind of show and explain fund modeling. But we also had like R simulations and like, you know, Google spreadsheet with like shitloads of JavaScript in them. The headache is like when you go advanced, is that you can't share it. I mean, it's like, oh, can we talk to the Python uh, coder on your side? And they're like, sorry, what? Uh, you know, like it's, it's just so like you end up doing screenshots and like they look at these screenshots and they're like super complicated. And they're like, what is this? All the deals that YC ever done, all the seeds that EIF has ever publicized. And we did market like a thousand million Monte Carlo simulations over those with this kind of fund cutout. People are like, okay. 
You know, you know, like, what am I going to do about that? <laughs> like, I think that it's, you know, I, I'm not, I think it's good. I think it's one of those things where like on the, on the, the first pillar is like, we want to be prepared and we want to be really curious. Like we want to talk to people like, do you think it's better to have 20% shareholding and a 20 portfolio fund size or 10% shareholding and a 40 fund size? Because like we've simulated both and like we kind of have both feelings. And then some LP says, oh, totally concentrated, totally wide, right? And like at the end of the day, nobody's going to tell us the truth, but it's like super cool to hear this. So like we use a lot of tools to kind of build and think, but at the end of the day, we kind of type it out in Notion or we kind of like put it in Keynote and put it on DocSend, right? Like it's not that complicated. And then like the CRM system, it's like we use Google Slides, just type stuff. Google Slides sucks because if you have three people you work with, you have to like new rows, right? It's complicated. But I think at the end of the day, it's like you just, you know, this is not going to be automated. You're not going to talk to a billion people, right? It's uh. So like it, it's one of those things where it's handcrafted, it's bespoke. So like I think that you're gonna like. There are many times I was like, "What the heck is this person's name again?" And then I just searched my inbox. So like I think the mo- one of the most important things is to not forget people. So like I don't mean that in a in a soft way of like, "Oh, don't forget people's birthday." What I mean is that if I talk to Louise on Tuesday and I'm gonna get back to her on Thursday, if I forget that, like we have a broken relationship. So like having like, you know, to-do list calendars, like, so I like every single person I talk to, even now, like when we talk to a fan now, so like, let's talk about fund three. We have a sheet called LPs for three. Just add them, some notes about them, link them to like my note-taking system so I can read all the notes. And then like, you know, when we're going to go on fundraise fund three, I'm going to open that and I'm going to ping the email address. 50% of them will be like, I no longer work at blah, blah, blah company, right? But it's like, you know, if I don't remember them, then I'm never going to talk to them. So I think we had a fairly light tech stack and I think that in the beginning we used like we used DocSend. We thought it was so smart, but the problem is like all of those tools to give you like oh you can see if they opened it and stuff. I don't know if we ever use that. I think the only thing we use it for is like when you talk to somebody and they say yeah I like the deck, and then you see in DocSend they haven't read the deck. <laughs> what are you going to do now? Are you going to call them out? Are you going to say like but you haven't opened the deck, right? You don't. You just send there like yeah 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 absolutely. Yeah. So like I think it's it's so hard to be like I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this data that I now know that you're lying to me. As a humanity, by the way, as a species. As a humanity, and that's that's why people should care about what Pebble does. So, before taking us to quick fire, I want to ask you: uh, Would you do anything differently with the fundraisers? In fund two, we had we had an alignment call with LPs. We talked to every single LP of why they're investing in us, where the money's from, where they're going to put back money, and we took all of the existing LPs who did one or more than a million euros. I wish we did this for Pebble one, not because I think we have some like evil person in it. But because it was like an amazing conversation to have with people when some people are so thoughtful, like some people you're like, holy moly, it's really amazing. And like, we were so proud when we realized like, oh my God, this is what you represent. I wish you would have told us actually. And then some people said, I'm sorry, we're this family office. We won't tell you. Like, we won't tell you. And then that conversation became really interesting. Like we had a call where we're like, why can't you tell us? And they were like, this is the reason. And we talked about it. And like, I think it built like a relationship where we kind of understood them way better. And I think it's so easy to do. And we actually had an original. We thought that, oh, maybe we should just have a type from it. They fit it in. But then actually the reason we didn't was that we thought, ah, oh, it's going to be recorded in the future. They're going to feel awkward about it. But then we just said, let's book a call. They're going to think it's really irritating to talk to us. That was way better. It was way better because like they, they said stuff that they wouldn't want recorded, but also it was a conversation. Right? So I wish we did that. It's like, wh- why are you investing in Pale Dot? Like what? Why, why, why are you looking to get out of it? And it's great. I think that you build great relationship with people. So there's so many things we could ask about. We will not, now we'll go to the quick fire round. But anyone thinking, oh, fuck, I've heard the quick fire round a million times. 
stay because we're going to have an interesting conversation after that, which I think everyone should hear as well. But now, let's hit the quick fire. <laughs> and now, the quick fire. Hampus, what advice would you give your 10 year younger self? I would probably say three different things. I think number one, it isn't cool to sleep less. I thought when I was in uni and when I started working, I was like one of those was like, oh, I only slept for four hours last night. I think it's just super dumb. I think you should sleep so you, you kind of feel fit to do stuff. Number two, I really, really wish that I kept reading fiction even when I didn't have time. And also that I really realized that I don't have to read fancy books, but I should read books that I really enjoy reading. That's just like, it's really nice to have a great book. And it, like, if you have a book that you don't think is great, just put it down and get another one. Like they won't kill you. And then I think number three, which is the hardest one, which I'm still struggling with, is just to be slightly less anxious what other people think of me and just trying to enjoy being me. What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are now fundraising? I think number one is really figure out your unique spot. Like, do you, do you, like, do you kind of source companies in a very, very unique way? Do you have like a very special way of helping the companies? Do you have a very specific uh, thesis or a geo or whatever? Because like just one more company it won't make any difference. I think like look at your fund as you would look at a startup. You wouldn't invest in the 57 company doing the same thing. And there are more than 300 funds already. So like you have to figure out why this better. Number two, your fund model is your fund strategy. So don't go out there and say we're raising a 10 million series A fund because that doesn't exist. That is like not a real fund. And those two, they don't match. Unless you're like, you know, we never lead rounds. We just put a small ticket in whatever. Then it's fine. But that is like a very special thing. And then I think that the last thing is really helping LPs to very quickly get to a no. So like giving them like reasons not to invest in stuff. So like you kind of get a good relationship, but also so you don't waste time. What's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been in venture? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing I've really learned is that rich people are a lot richer than you think like a lot richer. Like it's like, I thought I knew this, but I didn't know this. I think wealth is an exponential curve. The person that's twice as rich as the previous person is a lot richer. It's like a lot richer. And this goes up and up and up. And I think that the funny thing is that people's smartness, if you want to say that, is more of a square root curve. People don't necessarily get twice as smart just because they're twice as rich. Like grit is worth 10 times more than smartness. So now, Hampus, before we leave you, we want to ask you for your controversial statement. And to anyone listening in and before starting the quick choir thought, Andrea said we were going to have a conversation that was interesting. Here it comes because we're going to talk a bit about what Hampus is going to share with us. Yeah, I guess like when you're asking me for the controversial statement, I would say like wealth is a bit of a dangerous thing. I have plenty of friends that like have huge exits and that are more scared now that are less happy that are more worried about their kids who can't date anymore because they're super super wealthy and they don't even know why why people like why people dating me for the money or not and i think that wealth is this strange like very bell curve shaped thing where it's really painful to not have money and actually strange enough it's actually fairly painful to have lots of money there is a really sweet spot when like you paid off your student debt you kind of live in where you want to live and it's super nice. And the more wealth you have is not going to make you happier. And I think it's one of those super counterintuitive things that people kind of say, but I truly agree that, like truly believe that it just makes things so much more complicated. Um, and I'm like, I, I for sure want to make sure that I'm not dying the wealthiest person in the graveyard. I'd love to ask you, Hampus, 
you're doing very well with uh, with uh, Pale Blue Dot yourselves and your three founding GPs. And first fund $100 million, second fund $100 million fund, uh, dollars. You've got wealth probably headed your way. How are you thinking about that in connection to what you just said? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things. We have one thing that we haven't announced uh, that we will do the coming years uh, about the carry, um, which is not costing the LPs anything, but a thought that we have that we want to do. And the second thing is like, I am extremely blessedly lucky that I started my first company and, and got acquired without any, uh, more or less any investors, which meant that I did, I did a kind of, not a, like a crazy decacorn, like one of the wealthiest exits you can imagine, but to the exit where like I, I suddenly realized, hey, if I, I can kind of buy a house, I can you know, pay off my student debt. And it was so good because I think that that was so useful to just look around the world and realize that money is a tool to wield. It's not something that helps to be in the bank account. So like just realizing that if I really wish there was an organization that helped researchers, I can actually go and co-create and go fund them, right? And I think it was such a great thing. I was so, so grateful that I didn't buy a fancy car or bought a crazy thing. I actually bought an Opel Astra Enjoy 1.6 uh, back in the day uh, when a post-exit because we had a kid and we needed a car. And then I bought a Ford S-Max when we got two more kids. So I think that was like, it was so nice to kind of just like think that, yeah, sure, I can buy like a fancy car, but it's going to be a more problem because if you have a fancy car, people will key it, people will steal it. Like, and I actually don't enjoy driving a fancy car more than I'm enjoying just driving another car. So I think it's like, I'm so happy that it's like grounded me. And I think that part of it comes from the fact that I've had like a couple of times that I was fairly close to death uh, in different situations. Like the reason I have kids that are so old, like I, I, like my oldest kid is 15. And the reason I have kids that are 15 is that I thought I had HIV 15 years ago. Like I had like a very, very scary moment where I thought I had HIV because I had a blood transfusion when I was traveling. And I had a doctor who like thought that HIV for a bit. And 10 minutes later, they were like, oh, you have super low iron values. Very long story. But for 10 minutes, I was like, I have Hey, I've got HIV. And that when I when when I was done with that doctor, and now it sounds like I pounded the doctor to shit. But I mean, like when I was like done with that meeting with the doctor, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what would happen if I had HIV? And I realized I really love kids. I really truly love kids and being with kids. And if I had HIV, I wouldn't dare to be with kids, not my kids, not other people's kids. So then, like more or less after I calmed down, like in a couple of minutes later, I called my girlfriend and said, I really want kids. And she was like, We're traveling to Japan in four weeks. I will not be pregnant in Japan. And I was like, okay. And then we got home from Japan. I was like, I really want kids now. You don't really have an excuse now. Uh, so, so like, I, I'm so grateful. I have so much fun with my kids. Like, I mean, it's so great to have somebody knocks on your door when you're in the middle of a Zoom call with like one of your startups and like you've gone for two hours. It's 10 p.m. in the evening. You're just jamming with them at Saturday night. It's a lot of fun. And my son knocks the door and he's like, there's a new season of Top Boy. I'm like, what the fuck? And then the people on the call is like, oh, sorry. I didn't know. It was like, see you later, bus. And then you just hang up. And I'm like, let's watch it for God's sake. And like, if I had a three-year-old, I mean, that wouldn't be it, right? So like, I'm having a ball with my kids, but it's the thankful, the fact that they're an age, which like we have an exchange, but in 10 years, I'm going to be old and tired. And my kids are going to be like, there's a new system of this in VR. And I'm gonna be like, I'm too old for VR. So like, I think it's great that it's like, I enjoy, like I'm looking forward to like watching Napoleon soon on, on uh, like on cinema. I really want to watch Doom 2 with my oldest kid. It's like so great. So that's that. Thanks for the fact that I HIV for eight minutes. To to anyone listening in, uh, thinking that that I like Hampus a bit too much, so I want to have something to hate him for. Uh, he just made anyone older than I guess forty seven sound 
sound like they have one foot in the grave. <laughs> Soon, man. Soon. Which I so think cool. for our audience is probably a pretty significant. Yeah, shock. exactly. Everybody here is like, exactly. I'm gonna follow you on TikTok. <laughs> you managed to alienate some at least. I'm happy about that. Hampers, any final uh, any final remarks before we close this session? I would say like then the thing I would really think about. First of all, I would say like any VC who says ha being a VC is kind of like having a startup. We both fundraise. It's just bullshitting it. Like stop saying that because I think that being a startup is like a huge identity crisis. You're building something that nobody knows what it is, and you're very strange. Building a fund is a hell of a fundraising. It's really irritating, but everybody kind of knows what you're doing. So none of your friends would say, "Why did you leave McKinsey for this?" So I think that's number one. But also, I think about when you are fundraising, which is hell. The thing about it is that. Think about every time we talk to a founder and realizing they're kind of going through the same thing right now, except that they don't have it like they have much worse in many situations, which means that don't ghost them. Don't drag this out. Like if you think you're going to say no, just WhatsApp them back and say, I, I have a very hard time seeing where we get to. Yes, I'll talk to the people today and I see where I get. And if they ping in the end, end of the night, like, you know, 11 p.m. and said, did you get to yes? And it's like, I'm really sorry we didn't get to yes. And I we didn't get time to talk to it. And to be honest, the fact that we didn't get time to talk about it probably means that we're not going to do it right so like move on because like we will just be dragging on and i think that's empathy you hopefully get when you're raising a fund that you hate the fact that people don't respond to your emails you're just sitting around like will they invest or not and the founders are thinking the same thing and now some words from our beloved sponsor happy day is the leading all-in-one esg platform for gps central to happy day's philosophy is that esg for your portfolio companies must be relevant and value-adding making you a partner to your companies, not adding more reporting burdens. Happy Day offers AI-led ESG reporting, full SFDR compliance, including disclosure templates, EU taxonomy, carbon accounting, due diligence assessments, and most importantly, tangible tools to help your companies like ESG resources and policy templates. See why over 1,000 portfolio companies leading Article 9 funds and $100 billion of AUM trust Apiday to manage ESG and sustainability across their ecosystems. Take a free product tour at apiday.com or book a no-obligations ESG VC strategy session with one of their experts. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values, values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.